Can I get a whip this? Okay. Sorry. I was here first. <laughs> Alright. So, the rest of this chapter is... It's kind of strange unless you unless you understand kind of Ooh, look at that. Looks like it's going to fall. Unless you understand kind of the the reasoning behind what's going on. Uh it's all about the replacement of Judas. Okay? So Judas, of course you know that he uh, betrayed Christ and Luke records that. Remember the Acts is kind of Luke volume 2. You already got a question? Go ahead. If, if Judas had gone and repented to, in a different way, would they have accepted him back? Uh, yeah, I want to think so. They did Peter. But I don't, yeah, they did Peter. But yeah, he did. He did not repent the way that we it's a different word that's used for what he did. Really, he was sorry that it happened, but he wasn't repentant before God. Um, I could show you that. Do you care about the Greek words or whatever? Or do you want me to just I tell you that's what it is? Okay, yeah. Metanoia is the Greek word for repentance. For repentance before God. What it says Judas did when it says he repented himself, it said that's metamelami, which means he was sorry. He was he was he would have changed he would have went back and changed if he could, but he wasn't repentant before God. He was just regretted what happened, you know, it's just stink. Right. He was remorseful. Difference between repentant before God, you know. It's the same thing as Getting caught, you know, you're not sorry until you get caught, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I wish," you know. But you wasn't really sorry as long as didn't nobody know about it, you know. It's, it's kind of that way. And uh, <coughs> yes, I think if Judas, I mean, I don't, I can't think nothing else because the gospel is the gospel, and we've all been as bad as Judas in one way or another. So if he would have repented, if he would have turned back to Christ, I can't. I can't see where he would have been rejected. I mean, that would deny the gospel. But that's not what he did. He went out and hung himself. Okay, so here's the thing: the point of the point of the chap, the point of the rest of this chapter is that the kingdom promise. Remember all those Old Testament verses that we looked at last week? How Acts. The beginning of Acts fulfilled all those verses in Isaiah and the promises that had been prophesied were coming. And so this is what the apostles were looking for. They were looking for the fulfillment of all these promises. They knew that they knew that they were going to be endued with power from on high. They knew all these prophecies from Isaiah about being his witnesses and, and the Lord coming, the Messiah bringing power. And, you know, your your sons will have visions and dream dreams. And he's going to say that in chapter two and, and all these things going on. But there was a problem. Problem. The problem. The problem was that there was no longer twelve of them. There were only eleven. If they were going to be the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be all those years, uh, if they were going to be the fulfillment, God's true and perfect uh, Israel, who is in Christ Jesus, uh, they're, they're not going to be able to start off with eleven because there was twelve tribes of, of Israel, and so there had to be twelve, and that's why they're going to they're going to. From the Old Testament, Peter's going to tell them the scriptures that pertain to this, and they're going to 
replace Judas with another disciple. And uh, the, the reasoning for that is, uh, I think they probably were thinking in, in uh, Luke chapter, I wrote it down. Where is it? Luke chapter 22, verse 32, that's where Jesus told them that you apostles, you 12 apostles, will sit on 12 thrones and judge the tribes of Israel. Okay, and so that was what they were going to do. That was what they were going to be. But now there's only 11 of them. And so that they, they can't, the, the purpose of this is they're preparing themselves for the kingdom promises to come. They're preparing, they're preparing themselves as the followers, the disciples of Christ to be the 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 people that Israel was always supposed to be in the Old Testament. Okay? You understand? When you understand it that way, a lot of people read this section and it's just like, well, they replaced Judas and that's just, okay, let's move on. But it's really important because they were preparing themselves to be God's people and to uh, to be able to proclaim this message as the fulfillment of all the promises uh, to, to Israel and to the world. Make sense? Okay, so the fulfillment of the kingdom's coming. First, let's look at what they did, verse 12, after the ascension. Now remember, try to, try to put it all together. Last time we were here, the last thing we talked about was Jesus ascending into heaven and, and all those things. And that has just happened. And in verse 12 it says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath, Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, probably the same upper room they had the the Last Supper in, probably. I mean, we don't know for sure, but I think it is. Uh, where abode both Peter and James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus, which means Simon the, Ze- Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. This is not Judas Iscariot. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren, his brothers, were there. Okay. The first thing they do after Jesus tells them to go back in Jerusalem and wait for the promise is what? They go back to their place, their upper room, and they do what? They pray. They wait and pray. There was 10 days between the ascension when Jesus was raised up into heaven and Pentecost when the Spirit came, you know, tongues of fire and all that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, There was 10 days. And so during those 10 days, it says they abode there and they continued together in prayer. I don't don't think they were living like all 100, there's 120 of them. It's going to tell us that in a minute. Uh, I don't think all 120 of them were living there. I think they met there continually and it says in another part that they were going to the temple and praying and then they would they would meet there in prayer what do you think they were praying for I mean this is not a question this is just a question that there's no definitive answer for I just want to know what you think what do you think they were praying for in the time between Jesus ascending and they're hoping that power is going to come from the, to them on high what now? Huh? What now? yeah what now understanding <laughs> What do you think? Anything else? Probably. Remember, Jesus had just been murdered in Jerusalem, and he told them to go back and wait in Jerusalem. So they was probably, they were probably hiding. Hoping they wouldn't get creamed. Hoping they wouldn't get killed. But isn't it funny that the first, the first, I got a mint in my mouth, I'm sorry. The first thing they did was they met together and they prayed. Why is that often the last thing that we do 
when it was really the first thing they did. I mean, Jesus had told them, you're going to wait, and they knew the day of Pentecost was coming. Uh, He says, you're going to wait in Jerusalem for the power to come upon you from on high, and then you're going to go and be my witnesses. So, like, I I don't know. I'd be thinking, hey, I got 10 days off. You know, let's let's go relax. (laughs) We're going to wait. We're going to wait for Jesus, but that's not what they did. Why is it often praying is the last thing that we do when it was really the first thing? I mean, you People talk about the early church and what they did. The first thing they did was gather together and pray. They prayed and waited. Prayed and waited. That's right. We continue on and pray. That's right. That's good. But they... Yeah, they waited for him to move. They prayed and waited. She said that we usually just continue on. We don't wait. And then when everything goes bad, we'll start praying. When the reality is we're supposed to be waiting and praying and move when the Holy Spirit tells us to move. Do when the Holy... Huh? No, we're not doing it wrong. It's our our hearts are desperately wicked and we're going to do what we want to do. I mean, that's and that's what the Holy Spirit is there for. It's to correct us and to instruct us. And and it just for my for my thinking, I, I want it all figured out. You know what I mean? I'm wanting like Dana's not in here yet. We moved all the furniture around the bedroom and she wants to move the furniture and then look at it and go, no, I don't like that. Let's move it around. No, no, no. Let's get a piece of paper. Let's get a piece of paper and we'll mark it out and then we'll we'll, we'll think about it. Let's sit down and think about it. Put it where it is and move it one time and be done. It's like eight hours. We're like, move the bed over here. No, move the bed over here. No, move the bed over here. Oh, yeah. And that's what we do. That's what we do with God. We get it all figured out. We get it all figured out. You know, I got my plan. I'm going to work my plan. It's all good. And then when things don't go work out, we're like, God, what'd you do? You're not going along with my plan. You know, you're messing me up. And so that's not what they did. They, they, they stayed there. They waited for the, what Jesus promised. And they, uh, they prayed. They prayed. The list of the disciples here is the same list. I don't think it's a coincidence. It's the same list that Luke gives in chapter 6 with one exception, which was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot is gone. He does that on purpose. And they also... It also says that Mary and Jesus' brothers were there with them. Now, that's important because Jesus' brothers, the last time we saw them, what were they doing? Disbelieving. Yeah, they they didn't believe in Jesus. They were almost kind of mocking him, saying, hey, if you're the Messiah, why don't you go on up to the feast and show, show off and all that. They didn't believe. But now, here they were with the disciples. So, what conclusion can we draw from that? Yeah, that sometime after the resurrection, when Jesus was appearing and and vanishing and teaching the kingdom of God and doing all these things, his brothers, his own brothers believed on him and they were there praying with him. I mean, can you imagine? uh, It's sometimes, all y'all know, it's easier to go and witness to a stranger than it is somebody in your family. And so can you imagine being Jesus' brother? It's like, yeah, okay, I know you, you think you're the Messiah, but I remember when you was, you know, I remember when you was, you know, whatever. I don't want to be blasphemous or nothing. So anyway, Judas is absent. 
They devoted themselves to prayer. Uh, they received the promise. They knew the promise was coming, but they didn't just relax. They didn't just sit on their on their heels and be satisfied and take a break, whatever. They continued in prayer. They continued to, to do these things. Uh, Jesus' brothers were there. Now, the rest of the chapter from, from verses 15 down to 26 is all about the replacement of Judas. And so that's the kind of the major focus. And it has to happen before we can get to chapter... Chapter 2, which is Pentecost, when the, the power comes upon them and the promise is fulfilled and all those things. Uh, because there needs to be 12, not just 11. And we talked about that. Why The kingdom's coming. The promise is, is on their way. Uh, they realized that they were representing the new Israel. Now, when I say the new Israel, there's a there's a ugly word out there people don't like. It's called replacement theology, like the church replaces Israel. Uh, that's not exactly true. The church is the fulfillment of Israel. You understand the difference? Um, and so everything that we're going to be talking about is, is these were still at this point in time, all the way up to chapter seven, chapter eight, the church was nothing but Jewish people. There were no Gentiles in the church. There were no nothing. It was all Jewish people. And so the church was, it was the new Israel. They were the Israel who are Jewish people in Jesus Christ. And so the, when we're talking about the new Israel, remember that these people that we're talking about here are all Jewish. They're all Israel. And they were the fulfillment of what all those promises were to be in Jesus Christ. And so they knew that they had to have 12 and that's why they're going to replace Judas. Um, okay, we'll get to that in a second. Um, <clears throat> Peter took a leadership role, it says, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Why does it say in those days? What days? That's right. The days between Ascension and Pentecost, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. This is Peter's speech. He's comforting. Uh, before we go and read what he said, he is taking a leadership role and he's comforting and strengthening the disciples. I think that is huge right there that he took the leadership. Why? Because he was, you know, he is, I guess you could say, in action and a lot of times word, someone that we can relate to the most. You know, because when push came to shove and, you know, he denied Christ. Yeah. He came with a true repentant heart and he was forever changed. Sure. And for him to take that leadership role it is something that we, you know, here 2,000 years later can truly relate to with, you know, we are forever changed. And I just, I yeah. No, I think that's correct. And <laughs> huh? It's like surprising that they would. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it though? They try to not. Somebody's like acting up, and then it's like, oh, well, I'm going to be the leader now. Well, no, you're not. Yeah, I remember. I remember when you know. I remember when you messed up bad. Yeah. You know? they didn't ever do that. Yeah. And he was actually fulfilling. What Jesus commanded him to do, didn't it? You remember when they were sitting at the, I think it's in John, where they were sitting at the, the Last Supper? And, and, and Jesus said, uh, you know, Peter, Satan desires to have you and to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. He said, and when you're turned back, when you're converted, 
strengthen the brethren. And that's what Peter was doing. He was, he, he was taking that leadership role. He was strengthening the brethren. He was comforting. He was obeying what Jesus told him to do. And Jesus also gives us the same command, doesn't he? We're to exhort the brethren. We're to feed his sheep. We're to do all those things. It doesn't matter how many times you denied him. It doesn't matter how many times you've done whatever. You've, if you're in Christ, you've been forgiven. You pick yourself up and you move on. And you're supposed to be strengthening the brethren, comforting them, fellowshipping with them. You know, Jesus cares about his bride, you know. And, and we're to care about his breath. And so in those days, Peter took the leadership role and he stood up and he's going to make this speech about how they need to replace Judas. And he's going to use Old Testament scriptures to, uh, to uh, do that. Uh, now, remember, they're scared. They're confused. They're praying. They don't know what's they don't know exactly what's going to take place. They just know they've been promised they're going to be imbued with power upon high. They know they're supposed to be a witness. They know they're supposed to be the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be. And they were going to be a, a testimony to the world. Um, but in this point in time, Judas is kind of a blight on who they were. I mean, it's going to show us that here in a minute. And down in Peter's speech, Luke's going to interject. He's going to say that all Jerusalem knew what happened to Judas. All Jerusalem knew that he had betrayed Jesus. And all Jerusalem knew what kind of death he had died. And so there, there was one of their own had betrayed them. So how could they be a witness now? How could they be the true Israel now when one of, I mean, one of the, one of the chosen ones was supposed to be, I mean, he was supposed to be here with us, and, and he's the one the devil used to, to, to kill the Lord and kill the Messiah. Well, Peter's speech right here is going to show them, and it's going to demonstrate for them that Judas's betrayal was all part of God's plan. It was all part of what God had in mind, and it was foretold that Judas would betray him way back in, in the Psalms, way back in the Old Testament. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to say, verse 16 says, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. He said, the Holy Spirit has told us way back through the mouth of David that this was going to happen. So it's not like God was up there going, oops, I didn't know that was going to happen. Dang, what are we going to do now? Okay, plan B, plan B. No, he knew that this was going to happen. Jesus even called Judas a son of perdition before he ever betrayed him, didn't he? He said, he said I've chosen all y'all. He said, but one of y'all is a devil. You know, back when Jesus was walking around on the earth, he, he, he told him that. And so Peter says, look, the Holy Ghost spoke through David and he told us that this was going to happen. He told us, uh, he, he spoke concerning Judas. Now, just interesting, I'm trying not to go over time, but isn't it interesting that he said, the Holy Ghost spoke through David. I mean, that's one of the biggest passages right here that uh, confirms the inspiration of Scripture. You know, it was, it was the Holy Ghost speaking through the mouth of David. When, and he's going to quote two psalms that David wrote. And so he takes scripture at this point in time, this point in the early church, he takes scripture and says, this was God. This was God speaking to us way back when through the, through the mouth of David. If we look back at these scriptures, we can see that all this was foretold to happen. All this is the culmination of the promises of God. All this is the fulfillment of the kingdom that he's promised. And he said... 
For he was numbered with us and had obtained a part of our ministry, talking about Judas. Uh, now, 18 and 19, this is what I think. And so I'm not ready to fight and die on this hill, So, but this is just what I think. I think 18 and 19 are a parenthesis that Luke is talking, not Peter. Because it's almost like Peter says in verse, 15 or, or verse 16 and 17, he said, this scripture must be fulfilled. And then in verse 20, he quotes the scripture that must be fulfilled. And 18 and 19 seem like it's Luke telling backstory. You see what I mean? That makes sense? Now, it may not be the case. It's just what I think. Yeah. Why do you think Jesus picked Judas and he knew what was the reason why? Well, I mean, I can't answer for sure. But it's almost like he was doomed before he even got started. Well, here's the thing. There's... What part of it is it? Go ahead. I mean, you know, I know Jesus done it for a reason. Yes. But why? Why would you pick somebody that you knew was going to be one of your disciples? That was going to betray you. So the scripture could be fulfilled. Yeah, it's well, so the scripture could be fulfilled. But I, I think that he 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 needed. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which means he knew from the get go that he was going to the cross, and he knew that he was going to be handed over, and he knew that. So I think he. This is this is just me talking. I think that that God used Judas like a tool. And Judas was the the uh, the the thing that he used to have Jesus crucified. If that makes sense. Now, there's two. Wait a minute. There's two things that you always have to keep in mind. Christian life and reading scripture is always about balance. If you get too far to the left, you're, you if you get too far to the right. Two things always have to be held in balance, and that's the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Does that mean Judas was not responsible for his actions? No, Judas was most certainly held accountable and responsible for his actions. So it wasn't like God had a gun to Judas's head going, you're going to betray me. Well, Judas did exactly what he wanted to do. He did exactly what he desired to do, but that was still part of God's plan. So there's two things that you have to hold together. Uh, the responsibility that we have to live before God and the, the, the sovereign plan of God in all things that come to pass. Does that make sense? None of us are puppets. None of us are robots. That's just ridiculous. So and, his sovereignty, he knew because he could see the future where he knew what was going to happen. He yes. He chose Judas because he knew Judas was going to make those decisions. Right. And not only, yes, not only did he know it was going to happen, but he had, say, I want to say he had ordained that it would happen. And he did ordain that it happened. But that does not release Judas from the choices that he made. You understand? God always knows the ending before. God knows the end before the beginning, all those kind of things. He he knew that he was going to go to the cross. Let, let me show you, uh, let me give you an example. This is way off topic, but let me give you an example of, of biblically what I'm talking about. Flip over to chapter 4, just real quick, and then we'll go back to what, we were, what we're doing. In chapter 4 of Acts, the disciples are praying. Uh, this is after they had just been in, you know, they said, don't, don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. Uh, okay, uh, look at verse 26. 
They're praying. They're in the middle of a prayer. And he says, The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His Christ. This is their prayer, what they're praying. For a truth against thy holy child Jesus, listen, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. You see that? It was God's plan that Jesus would die. It was God's plan that the Jews and the Gentiles would reject him and that he would be killed and murdered. But still, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel are most certainly held accountable for the choices that they made. They did exactly what they wanted to do. Herod was just a nutball. You know, he was like, do a trick for me, Jesus. Do a trick. When Jesus wouldn't do it, he'd send him back. Pontius Pilate was a coward that he just wanted to be done with the whole thing. They all had their reasons. They all had their choices. And they did what they wanted to do. But it was part of God's plan that Jesus would go to the cross. Does that make sense? Both are true. God is sovereign. God is in control. And yes, you have choices and responsibilities to be made. Does that make sense? And even when Jesus called um, Judas, you know, a son of perdition and a, a devil, Judas never tried to defend himself. You know, he never did what Peter did with Peter. I'll, you know, I love you. I'll never deny you. You know, yeah. he never tried to defend himself. Yeah, and it's like if he had accepted, if you would have seen Judas, if you'd have been walking around the first century, you would have looked at Judas and said, "Man, I want to be like him." I mean, if only I could be like him. You know, at the Last Supper, when when. Uh, Jesus said, tonight one of y'all will betray me. None of them were going, yeah, I knew Judas was that kind of guy. I don't think they were all saying, is it me? Is it me? It's not me, is it? You know, they had no idea. They had no idea. He, the guy was, he was a, a master of disguise, I guess. You know, he, he had it covered up real good. Uh, so let's go back and finish that. I hope that answered your question. That's not an easy answer. Uh, if you go, if you go too far off to the left, with, with then, then we're all then we're all robots and puppets. But if you go too far off to the right, God is sitting up there going, "Whoops, I didn't see that coming." You know, you can't do either one of those. You got to have it in balance. Got to be God has a plan. His plan's going to be worked out. And yes, you have choices and responsibilities to be made within that plan. Okay, that makes sense. It's always perfect, huh? And we have to remember that His plan is always perfect. Yes, His plan is always perfect. Um, where were we at? Eighteen and nineteen. This is the explanation of Judas's betrayal. It says, Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. I love that. It's awesome. <laughs> and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in their proper tongue, uh, Keldamah, that is to say, the field of blood. This is stuck right in the middle of Peter's speech. Because he's trying to explain to us why it's important that Peter stand up and tell them, hey, this is part of God's plan. All of Jerusalem knew that this was this is, had happened. And all of Jerusalem knew the awful, what am I trying to say, disrespectful, not disrespectful, degrading kind of death that, that Judas died. And so they would, the first thing they would have said was, 
how can we be God's people and God's plan and all this fulfillment of promises when one of us was the ones who got us in all this mess? One of, one of us was the ones who, who killed Jesus or got Jesus killed and then went off and hung himself and busted open and all that kind of stuff. You know, got all, what kind of awful degrading death he died. And Peter was telling them, this is so the scripture would be fulfilled. This is why this had happened. And so they were the people of God. Now, there's two contradictions in these two little verses. They're not real contradictions, but they will always be brought up as contradictions. But they really have an easy resolution. Do you know what they are? The two contradictions or supposed contradictions that are in this verse. Number one was how did Judas die? And number two was who bought the field? Okay, those will always be brought up by the atheists and the Bible haters and all that kind of stuff. So, number one, how did Judas die? He hung himself suicide. Okay, but does it say he hung himself here? Why doesn't it say he hung himself here? Does Luke and Acts here contradict what Matthew says in about Judas's death? Huh? It's different. Okay. Oh, it doesn't say he cast himself headlong. It says he fell headlong. So, what if we allow all the scripture to speak in complement with each other? What what are we to say? Yes. I'm talking about the deal. I'm not getting into suicide. I want to know how Judas died. Judas, whatever they said, you know, he hung himself, whatever. But they wouldn't. Tell that to the Greeks because a lot of times that was a noble death. That's right. That's right. They would have them that actually That's right. That's exactly right. And that's okay. This is first. What you want to say something? Go ahead. With the, I heard like in the past, like his vows were coming out, but it sounded like he had a little help. Okay, like his bout assisted suicide way back in the first century. Maybe, maybe that may be true. We don't. I don't know for sure, but it is true that Jesus. I mean, Jesus. Judas hung himself, and then as he hung himself from tree or whatever, his body got all bloated and blowed up and busted, and it. Huh? After a little while, yeah. After a little while. And his body busted. So the the accounts complement each other. They don't contradict each other. Both are true. He hung himself and then his body why does Luke Luke said Luke doesn't mention the hanging here, but he mentions the nasty busting open and bow because it's degrading. And he does that, just like Michael said, because Luke is writing to a Gentile audience. Remember he said Theophilus is who he's writing to. It's a Gentile, it's a Greek name. And in those days, if you were Roman or if you were Greek, killing yourself was a noble way to die. So somebody might read the account that was a Greek and say, you know what, this Judas, he knew he did wrong and he went out and he did the right thing. He hung himself. Now a Jewish person would have said, no, that's awful. That's degrading. That's horrible. You're not supposed to kill yourself. You're not supposed to. They would have known the degrading kind of death that that he died. But the way Luke phrases it here, the way Luke, his account of it, what he emphasizes in Judas's death shows the whole world that it was degrading. It was horrible. It was it was just a nasty way to die. Judas did not do the right thing. He died uh, an unobvious 
honorable death. You know, he, he didn't just hang himself and, wow, that was noble. He really did a you know, good thing. He knew he did wrong and killed himself. No, he, he swelled up and bust open and, you know, all that kind of stuff. He blew it up. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, that would have taken time. Yes. I mean, he would have been hanging there for a while. Well, we don't really know how long. He, he killed himself. Now, remember, he, he, Jesus raised from the dead three days after he was crucified. Okay? From the date of the resurrection, Easter Sunday, uh, to Pentecost is 50 days. 40 days. 50. 50 days. That's Pentecost. Yeah, 50, 50 days. So here we are 40 days later. So, I mean, there's no telling how long. He, he could have been there 40 days is longer than a month. So he could have been there. He could have been there almost six weeks. Yeah, and it said that all of Jerusalem knew. And they started calling the field the field of blood because it was, you know. But them sound effects. It's like, I always get, I always get a picture of like a big garbage bag filled with pea soup. Anyway, okay. The second contradiction that is brought up is, is like or vegetable soup. Anyway. Okay. The second one is who bought the field? Did Judas buy the field? No. No. Who bought the field? The priests bought the field. But how, it says, if you go back in, in Matthew, remember Judas threw the money back at him, And they would not put the money back in the treasury because it was blood money. So they took the money and they bought a field to be a graveyard, basically, for Gentiles. And so it says here that Judas bought the field. How do we reconcile? They bought it in his name. They bought it in his name because they wasn't gonna they couldn't use the money. It was defiled money as far as they so they bought it in Judas's name. It was Judas's field. It was the one he blew up in and he owned it. Make sense? No contradictions whatsoever. Huh? He was all over that field. It was his field. All right. That's right. He put his blood and his lungs and his stomach in it. Okay. All right. So, not contradictions whatsoever. Now, Peter continues with his speech and he's going to quote the Psalms in verse 20. So, think of it this way. Verse 17, for he was numbered with us and have attained a part of his ministry. Uh, he, he was saying the scripture must be fulfilled. And verse 20 says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. Now, he quotes two different Psalms right there. Psalm 69 verse 25 and Psalm 109 verse 8. Now, in Psalm 69, it's David uh, praying that God would remove his enemies, that God would judge his enemies and remove them. And Peter applies this to Judas because Judas made himself Christ's enemy. Uh, Judas sided with the enemies of God by doing this. And so it's judgment. That's what he, that's what he said in verse 20. He said, let his habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein. That's Psalm 69, 25. And so he's applying that to Judas, uh, applying that to Judas betraying Christ. Let his, he, we want him, you know, judged and let him be removed and all those things. He said that had to happen because it was prophesied in the book of Psalms that it would happen. And then he says, and his bishopric, 
which is his ministry, his place, his authority as an apostle, let it let another take. That's Psalm 109, and that's that, that God would remove that person, the enemy of David, that he would remove him from the, the people of God, and that he would replace him with somebody who was more just, somebody who was more righteous. That's what David was saying. And so Peter takes both of these Psalms and he applies them to, G, to Judas, and he says, this is why these were written. So we don't need to be upset. We don't need to be fretting. We don't need to be uh, scared or, or worried about being witnesses because we had a betrayer in our midst. He said that had to happen to fulfill the scriptures. It was what we was supposed to happen. And it says at the begin, at the end of verse 20, it says, let his uh, and his bishopric let another take. He says, so we need to replace him. Verse 21, wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And, and they appointed to Joseph called Bersabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. So they said, we need to replace Judas. Now, here's the important thing. They needed to replace Judas as the promise was being fulfilled so they could be the fulfillment of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the perfected Israel that is perfected in Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. Right now, they're all Jews. Uh, They had to be that 12. Was it always the case that when an apostle left, that he must be replaced? Later on, James died in chapter... I don't remember, nine or ten maybe in Acts. Was James, did they try to replace him? Why? Why did there need to be 12 now, but once the ministry got going, the power came, the church was moving forward, the kingdom was going, why were the apostles not replaced then, the the 12 apostles replaced then? Because those other people were now witnesses too. Right. This was the very beginning of the ministry of the true Israel, the true people of God, the true worshipers of God in Christ. And so there needed to be 12 as they stepped off into Pentecost and received the power uh, that came from them on high and became witnesses to all that Jesus had done. But after those 12... There were no replacements. So if you run into some dude today that calls himself apostle or whatever, he's not really apostle. Okay? Uh, that's, another, that's another sermon. Anyway, so they're going to pick from... They, they said this is the qualifications. You had to have been with us from the beginning, from the baptism of John until the ascension of Christ. Now, to be honest with you, up until... A couple of weeks ago, I thought that the Apostle Paul was the 12th Apostle. And they should have waited for Paul. God would have sent Paul. But Paul didn't fit the qualifications, did he? Had to have been there from the baptism of John. So something I learned. Why wouldn't Jesus' brothers... Put forward. They didn't meet the qualifications either. If you're, he is going to have, you are going to be my witnesses. Therefore, you had to have been an eyewitness from the beginning, from the baptism of John all the way until the ascension. Okay? All right, so they got Matthias and they got the other dude. 
You're the other dude, yeah. Forever to be known as the other dude. Okay, now here's, what, here's where it gets interesting. It says, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Okay. There's your answer to your question, Michael. Michael asked me last night, Did man or did God choose Matthias? Was it man or was it God that chose him? It was God. It was God that chose him. They prayed. They prayed. They asked God to choose. They asked Christ to choose. Christ had chosen the other apostles. And so they asked Christ. You, they prayed and they said, You, Lord, you that know the hearts of all men, you sh- show whether of these two thou hast chosen, who of you have chosen, that he may take part in the ministry an apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. To his own place lets me know that Judas did not repent. He was um, a betrayer to the end. In verse 26, there's a lot of debate over this verse. I'm not going to fight and die on any hill right here, but I'll tell you what I think. It says, And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Okay, there's the question. They prayed, God, you choose. And then they gave lots to choose. And the lot fell on Matthias. Here's the, here's the debate. And you, you just decide for yourself. Most of the time, when you cast lots, what they would do is they would put the lots in a, in a cup and they'd shake the, or a bowl or whatever, and they'd shake it and whichever one fell out, that was the choice. But whenever, whenever you talk about casting lots, even in the New Testament or especially in the Old, it says they threw lots. They cast lots. You know what I mean? They, it's not what it says here. It says they gave their lot, their share for them. I believe, this is what I think, and like I said, this is not a matter of doctrine. You believe whatever you want. I think they voted. I think they voted by giving their share because it says, and they gave forth their lots. They gave forth their lots and the lot fell on Matthias. And so they prayed first. I mean, it's like first church meeting. They prayed first. God, guide us, tell us who you've chosen. You choose the one. We want your man to be whatever. And then they voted. They gave their lots to decide who it was. A lot of people disagree with me. They, th- they say they were shaking, you know, doing like they did in the Old Testament. It's fine. It's no big deal. I mean, if it's all good. God chose them either way, I believe. Uh, but interesting, don't you think? Yeah. You got to think of how he must have felt when they prayed to God and asked which part was better. So you can think of the second part. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Dang, I didn't want to be with y'all anyway, man. Uh, huh? He's thinking, I'd be like, oh, what do I need to repent of? What if, you know, yeah. my is my heart not right. as good as his? Right. Well, I don't, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. The, the reality of the deal is, he wants us to know that now, at the end of verse 1, the people, there's 12, they're ready. 
They're ready to receive the promise. They're ready to receive the kingdom. They're ready to move forward. And in chapter 2, we're going to start in the very, the very, the very next sentence. He's going to say, okay, in Pentecost, when it came, and this is what happened. And we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about all that next week. The point is that now they're ready. The people of God have prepared themselves to be ready for God's promise, ready for what He has in store for them. And the reality is, you never hear the name Matthias mentioned again. Yeah, you don't. You, we don't know what he did, but, but but I mean, if you go back to that list of disciples, you never hear of most of them again. I mean, you, we're going to hear of Peter, and we're going to hear of Philip, and we're going to hear a lot about Paul, and we're going to hear Stephen, which was one of the deacons. We're going to hear a lot of names, but most of these you never you never hear them again. But they were still part of the twelve disciples. And like I said, up until I studied this chapter in depth, I always thought that they made a mistake. And yeah, I, not the Bible writers, but the, 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 for, you know, casting lots, I thought they'd roll in dice to see who would be the next guy. You know, that's what I always thought. You know, they prayed and rolled dice to see who, who was going to be the next I thought they were jumping the gun and that God was going to let Paul come later. But Paul didn't fit the qualifications. He wasn't, he, at this time, he was still an enemy of Christ, even after the resurrection. So do y'all have any thoughts on that? There's a lot of things in here that I'm kind of drawing conclusions from. You know, you don't necessarily have to agree or disagree. Verse 25, I heard a sermon preached one time at a revival about Judas by transgressions they might go into his own mm-hmm. The evangelist that preached that sermon that night said that this meant to him that this was just his opinion mm-hmm. that he had a special place in hell. Special place in hell. <laughs> a special place in hell. <laughs> I don't know. Are there special places in hell? 